What is going on, my fellow geeks, and welcome back to Raving Geeks. I do have a media recommendation. I love Lord of the Rings. Superheroes, movies, a little jack-of-all-trades, I guess. So what makes me a geek? What is going on, my fellow geeks, and welcome back to Raving Geeks, uh, the weekly pop culture podcast from Central Michigan Life, where we discuss all things geek culture, which is like high culture, but better. If this is your first time joining us, make sure you follow the CM Life Instagram and Twitter pages for updates on the podcast and to look for us wherever you find your podcasts, including YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on our website at www.cmlife.com. My name is Brendan Valentine, and I'd like to thank you all for joining me and my fellow co-host this week. Um, but before we get started, I'd just like to acknowledge real quickly, we have a brand new intro for the show this week. If you're listening on audio, I'm sure you heard the new uh, new music with our voices put over it. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, there's a whole clip associated with it. Uh, I'd just like to thank my sister, actually, uh, who designed that and put that together. So um, I think uh, definitely fits the vibe of the podcast a little more than than the previous one. So really proud of that. So, um, we're going to get started this week with our question of the week, which is, what is your favorite superhero costume? So, um, I will start. Uh, my favorite superhero costume, um, so this, was a, this one I had to think about a little bit, because I really like the Batsuit, but um, I'm not going to go with Batman. Um, I am going to go with Spider-Man. Um, specifically Miles Morales Spider-Man, hey. the Ultimate Universe Spider-Man. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I just <laughs> like, I, I love the classic red and blue, um, but after, I have I don't have a PlayStation, but after seeing gameplay of um, Spider-Man Miles Morales, I was like, you know what, I, this one's just like, you put that in like the 4K with like the, the, the way they like do the graphics in the Spider-Man PlayStation games, and I'm like, nah, that one's got to be the coolest, but I'm, honestly, I don't think there's a bad spider suit in either of those games, the original Spider-Man uh, PlayStation games or the Miles Morales one. So, like, a Spidey suit in general, but if I have to pick one, Miles Morales suit. So, um, Hope, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, hey, everyone. I'm Hope Goodrell. Um, my favorite superhero suit would probably be um, either Nomad um and I am going with the um, Infinity War version um, mm-hmm. of Nomad. Uh, and then either that or the Captain Marvel suit, but the Captain Marvel suit in the later um, Carol Danvers comics. Um, because personally, I like how it, it's more... Uh, it looks less like a bathing suit yeah it's less like a bathing suit but also like she can fly in outer space and be covered and she can be in fights <laughs> and you know be covered um so yeah that's definitely and she has a mohawk sometimes exactly like so yeah gotta go with either of those two all right uh i'm isaac hunter uh I have a lot of superhero suits written down, so I'm going to have to whittle it down. Um, one that I really think is super cool, like whether or not, I mean, I'm sure you guys like him, uh, but is a uh, Moon Knight's costume. It's, you know, it's kind of like Batman's, but it's all white and it's got a sick hood and like uh, 
like a whole face covering and there's just like moon designs all over it and he throws moons i don't know he's he's freaking sweet i don't know he's crazy um but then i also put down which i'm sure brendan would agree i think that uh rorschach watch oh my gosh i didn't even think about that the rorschach mask it's so oh, cool it's so good mask inkblot mask that's constantly moving uh mixed with like a trench coat and a hat so that it looks almost like a like a detective uh so cool um and really you know takes up the personality of the mask more so than he does himself it's it's super cool no, the, the scene in the I guess in both the movie and the graphic novel where like they're taking they take the mask off and he's like my face my face yeah. I'm like oh that's rough alrighty well we're gonna get started this week with our uh, geek news um, Isaac do you want to start us off with that I will and then we can work our way back to positive um, I'm just gonna start up with uh, that uh, the actress Gina Carano uh, no longer works for Lucasfilm. Um, as a Lucasfilm spokesperson said, Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Um, so I don't know what that means for her character Cara Dune on Mandalorian, but I'm sure we will see shortly. Uh, actually, we might have to wait till next season. So she's going to be know. either a dead. recast, but she's not. Yeah. Um, she'll be dead, dead. That's it. Well, I. Um, my favorite meme that I saw since she got let go um, was the scene from uh, season two, episode seven of Mandalorian, where they're like, oh, too bad Mayfeld died in that explosion. And, but instead it's like, oh, too bad Cara Dune died in that thing off screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, that's kind of how it's going to go. But, well, it, I mean, that's Hollywood, right? Yep. Alrighty. Um, I guess I'll go next. I know Hope, you have you do your research every week and have so much stuff. <laughs> um, my highlights for this week is um, we have our first like TV rating for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, the Netherlands gave it the equivalent of an R rating for the United States. Um, called uh, TV 16 plus or the equivalent of TV MA here in the US, um, which for specifically for violence and coarse language. So um, if you're concerned about, you know, a more raunchy MCU show, I don't think we're quite getting that. I just think we're going to get some really intense action scenes that, you know, over in uh, Europe uh, might not be considered as um, as okay as they are here. But um, it makes me excited to see that. I'll also, um surprised that Deadpool is not the first MCU uh, R-rated <laughs> title, but um, I'm not upset about it. So. <laughs> Listen, Bucky um, and-, and Sam have a lot of shit to deal with. So it doesn't oh, surprise me. They're just going to trash each other. Like if, if Marvel's going to embrace this, like, all right, maybe, maybe Falcon Winter Soldier will be more adult. They might like, I don't think they'll refilm anything, but like maybe season two are like, well, it's still going to be R-rated. So we're going to change the script up a bit. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm, for that. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, and then there's a couple new shows I saw that are not, I guess like some of them are new. Some of them are just revivals, but uh, coming out on HBO max, um, within the next couple months, uh, they're making a, um, a spin-off show of the Scooby-Doo shows called Velma, which is a, an origin story for um, Velma. What's her last name? It's not Jinkies. That's her catchphrase. Um, I don't know that we ever get their uh, last name. Because no, everyone has a last name. Daphne's is Blake. It's um, <laughs> Okay, it's, it's Velma. <clears throat> Velma Dinkley. Dinkley. I knew it was so close to that. 
Um, um, and also, we're getting a revival of Clone High, if anyone was a fan of that, on HBO Max. Um, so much stuff coming out on HBO Max between, like, Snyder Cut to this, like, Clone High revival. It's very expensive in terms of, like, streaming service stuff, but, like, I might have to invest. Or at yeah. least do the free trial yeah. and, like, binge it for a week. Right. It better be called Where Are My Glasses? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if if they name it the show that I'll, I'll just pay for an HBO. <laughs> so um, those of you at HBO, change the name of the show to Where Are My Glasses, and I will buy the subscription yeah. at least for a year. You got three customers right here. Right here. Alrighty. Heck, actually, HBO Max, if you want to endorse us, um, that would be awesome. We will run ads for you on everything, every week, everything you want to do. That would be awesome. <laughs> All, right, hope. Um, All right. What news do you have for us? Uh, so I'll start off with speaking of the Snyder Cut. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League trailer is dropping tomorrow on the 14th. Um, so for all of us who don't have dates and everything, we can just binge watch that all the day, you know, get a whole bunch of views on or that. Or you could watch it on your date if you're a true geek. That's true. Because, um, so for other people who are more fans of like the classic movies, Wizard of, Wizard of Oz is getting a remake um, with director Nicole Castle who directed the Watchmen movie. Um, So that's going to be really interesting to see. And I was talking with my sister, who's a big Wizard of Oz fan, and we're thinking that the reason why it's getting a remake now is because of the Wicked movie is starting to get ramped up more, especially coming out with their new um, director. Um, So fans of video games, especially the Borderlands games, there is a movie that is coming out um, that's a, um, sorry, I can't think of words. Um, yeah. Live action? I, I don't think it's live action, or if it is, no. they haven't really started filming and doing anything. Um, but so you have, they announced four people that they've already cast. So you have Kate Blanchett as Lilith, Kevin Hart as Roland, Jamie Lee Curtis as Tannis, and Jack Black is voicing Claptrap. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so much chaos. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Um, that sounds... Yeah. <laughs> that sounds mildly problematic. But Isn't like, this just Jumanji? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hey, you know, if, if Kevin Hart can do Jumanji, why not? And Jack Black, come on. Oh, <laughs> Jack Black in the Borders Land movies. Okay, that's going to be good. Um, so, uh, continuing on with other movies, not in the Marvel universe, uh, we've got uh, Lily Gladstone is going to star opposite of Leonardo DiCaprio in Martin Scorsese's next film, Killers of the Flower Moon. There is going to be a face-off remake that was... Um, John Travolta, and I can't remember the other actor. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage, thank you. Um, and it is going to be Adam Wingard, who directed Godzilla versus Kong, uh, who's going to be directing that remake and also co-writing it. And I believe my next stuff is all Marvel. So for Spider-Man 3, as we all know, we had... Um, the last two live-action Spider-Men on set already. 
So we've also had William Defoe arriving on set to reprise his role as the Green Goblin. Um, we have a actress for the Captain Marvel 2 villain, who is Zowie Ashton. Um, and then also Forbes announced that WandaVision is currently the most popular TV show in the entire world. So, yeah, And it Marvel. deserves it. Holy crap, yes. if you haven't been watching WandaVision, it is... It is a roller coaster ride. Even if you're not a huge MCU fan, it's pretty crazy. Um, oh, I also forgot um, the sequel to the Sonic movie got a title. Um, oh, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is the official yeah. title. <laughs> um, Simple. The, the exciting part about that is the logo for the two has like um, Tails is Tails like coming oh. off of it. So like it seems like um, I mean, Tails got confirmed. At the, spoilers, Tails got confirmed in the, in the last movie to be in the next movie. Um, but there's also rumors that they're going to cast someone as Knuckles um, and have that whole uh, that whole uh, storyline. I guess, yeah, Sonic 3, the video game, had Knuckles in it. So I wonder if Phil the Bear is going to bring Sonic back then to be a new bear. Because I know we had him. He was um, at he's not a bear. He is oh. a hedgehog. It's okay. in his name. But, like, you wouldn't want me to say a skin, because that's what we call the unstuffed animals, okay? So, so speaking of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, uh, I actually saw this the other day, and I didn't remember it, but um, they it's not confirmed, but Jason Momoa was offered the That's role what I heard, Knuckles. but I, uh, I didn't want to, like, because I'd be so excited we get Jason Momoa Knuckles. That's yeah. so funny. So, he can still say no, but, I mean... But, like, Jason Momoa gives off the same vibe as, like, Knuckles, like, like, big guy who drinks his respect women juice. (laughs) (laughs) And has Knuckles. I mean, yeah, for sure. I would not want to get into a fight with Jason Momoa or Knuckles. Um, I mean, that's why he has the scar on his eyebrow, because he got into a bar fight with someone. So. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. There's actually movies of his and, like, acting of Jason Momoa pre-scar in his eyebrow. And it's weird. Interesting. Interesting. All righty. Well, uh, this week for our uh, our uh, main topic of interest, um, all three of us watched the uh, recently released documentary Behind the Mask on Disney+. Plus. Um, if you don't know what it is, it is basically um, just a one-hour documentary that goes over some of the... Um, the social history of writing specifically Marvel comic books. Um, And they interview a couple of writers, editors, um, uh, popular culture personalities who are really involved in, you know, the legacy of Marvel comics. And artists Um, as well. And artists. Uh, Like every stage of like involvement in creating a comic book, they had someone Mm -hmm. and they had plenty of people from different eras that they talked about. Um, Normally I'm not a big documentary person, but uh, I thought the documentary was like exceptionally well put together. It had a lot to say, especially for like um, the shorter time frame of just one hour. Um, but there were a lot of really good things uh, that came out of it. So I think I think we want to start with just like a general like reactions um, before we get into anything too specific. So Hope and Isaac, what did you think of the doc? Do you want to go first, Isaac? Or? No, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I actually really liked it. I will admit there was one line that someone said, and I was like, I don't agree with that at all. Um, she said, if you're not a lonely kid, don't read comics. I was like, no, comics should be for everyone. Um, actually, I love that quote. 
Um, yeah. And I'll explain why later. Okay. I, I'll... Um, like, I, I understood it in some aspects, but also I was just like, let's not deter people from reading comics. Um, but I actually sat through most of it going, how can I put this into English curriculum and show it to future students? Because there was so much that I was like, this is important. Like, it's not just that they were pressured to do anything. They did it because they were like, this is the world we live in. And, you know, the biggest thing about that was said multiple times is writers and creators need to reflect and watch what's going on in the world around them. And I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly what the Marvel Universe is and any sort of creating content, I think, you know, you just got to look at what's going on and try and either speak to it, speak about it, or, you know, speak against it in any sort of writing or creativity thing that you do. Um, yeah, uh, I thought it was fantastic. I, I didn't know what it was actually going to be about going in. Like, I didn't, like, look up what it was about. I just was like, behind the mask, got to watch it. Um, I thought it'd have at least something to do with, uh, I think it would tie in something from, like, the MCU, but it didn't. It was fully just about the comics and the history of that. And um, mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool, uh, especially since they had, like, so much about... Because they could have just tackled just, you know, the characters. But yeah, they, they went so much about the people behind the comics, behind the mask. Um, and I thought it was super interesting to, to hear about people, you know, like uh, Christopher Priest, who was the, the first black writer and editor in mainstream mm-hmm. comics. And like, he didn't even like realize at the time that he was the first one doing it. But he was like, I, I guess I am the first uh, mm-hmm. black man doing this. Um, and I think that's so cool like it was just it was really interesting Mm -hmm. i agree uh the thing that the thing that i found like most striking about it was like a lot of you know the quotes that were like read or like the things that people said in the documentary about comic books are like things i felt while reading comic books but didn't have the words to articulate like they're only just like emotions and like you're like why do you like comics and i'm like I don't know. They're cool. But like, they're, they're like, no, this is about like identity. This is about like confronting like some of your inner demons. This is about mm-hmm. figuring out who you are in a world where you want to be a hero, but it's not like easy. Um, <clears throat> and I just found that like really, really cool. And like, it's as much as like reading the pages of a comic book can be inspiring because of like the larger than life characters, the people, the like relatable messages and things like that. Like from as someone that's not like, a kid reading comic books anymore like more an adult like looking at the people behind creating the comic books was really really cool to like and also like just as inspiring as like a page of a comic book um to hear their stories and um you know the time and energy and thought that they put into you know producing those pages so um before we go any further like that's our just general general focus we're going to get into some more specifics but like if you haven't watched it yet and it is a documentary so like minimal spoilers for like what's gonna happen um but like if you want to go watch it and then like listen to our commentary on it back pause go watch it come back um if you want this is like something to think about before going in then let's keep going um so at the beginning, they really started with a lot of like conversation about like identity. And I like wrote down this quote that like alter ego is the most important part of a hero. Um, and I wondered like what extent do y'all think that's true? Because like for me, 
I think that's true in Marvel comics, but I don't know if that's true for like every comic book property out there. See, I really like the quote that someone said um, about in DC, Batman is the character and Bruce Wayne is the mask. But in Marvel, um, Peter Parker is the character and Spider-Man is the mask. And I really like that because personally, like, yeah, okay, I like the some of the um, heroes in the DC comics and everything, but I don't relate to them or identify with them as much as with the Marvel uh, heroes. Just because the Marvel heroes, you have that you know mundane side, as they kept saying in the beginning of the documentary of um, what is real world things that they are actually going through and what makes them you know, become the hero and um, make them want to be the hero and everything too, not just, oh yeah, you know, Bruce Wayne is no longer after he watched his parents get murdered and it's just Batman. And like, okay, that's good. But like, what else is driving you to do that? And um, whereas like, you know, Peter Parker, shy kid who's super smart and gets bullied and, you know, he's got this other side of him that he wants to show people, but he's scared to because, you know, he is bullied. He is seen as just that nerdy, weird kid. Um, and then when he puts on the mask, he's able to just go, no, I can be myself. And then he gets to make all the um, quips to the villains and everything. And um, I think, I think it's really important because another part was later on um, when they were talking about like race identity too. Um in saying like they didn't need the mask or they didn't want the mask because they wanted to show that uniqueness can be a strength, that being just yourself is a strength. Um, and so I think that was like really important for Marvel to show and to have written down to show too. And I, I've heard that quote said in like a different context as well, where people have described, like if people ask me like, what's the difference between Marvel and DC? My mm -hmm. generic response is, Marvel is about humans coping with having the power of gods and DC is about gods coping with having, having to pretend to be humans. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, you know, Batman, Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, Superman, Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, they're all like, okay, I, I am this inherently special and powerful being. However, if I tell everyone that the people, the other humans, uh, the people that don't have these special abilities around me are going to get hurt. So I have to figure mm -hmm. out how to fit in with them. And then like the other hand of that is, you know, with Marvel, it's like, I've been this very human character and I want, I want to be a hero. I want to have all of this stuff, but I can't do that with my human identity. I have to, you know, transcend that and become something else. And I think they, that, that kind of hit home really well. Uh, yeah. Um, I think just like Marvel does such a good job at, at focusing on, on the problems of, the person, the brain behind the character, you know, uh, like really like half of Spider-Man's comics are really about like what's going on in his social life. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting still. You're like, yeah, it's, it's interesting when he, you know, punches Sandman in the face, but it's also interesting. It's like, how is he going to deal with this bully? Like, mm -hmm. how is he going to do, you know, with Flash or exactly. one, some of my favorite, like Spider-Man comics are actually not majority Spider-Man. It's like Peter, trying to like it's the green goblin comics or the comics where green goblin is the villain um and he's trying to figure out how to be friends with um 
Harry? Why am I, um, Harry, while knowing that his father, Norman Osborn, is a villain, like mm -hmm. that intricate, like he's my best friend, his father, like he's the, and I have to, you know, fight the father of my best friend who's been kind of like a father figure to me since Uncle Ben died. Yeah. And like some of those are, and I'm like, that's tough. Yeah. And it's such a struggle. Meanwhile, like, not to knock down DC, because DC oh, is fantastic. I, I as love well. DC characters. Yeah. Um, but it's true, like, like with Superman, like, it's, I feel like it, he's almost mostly Superman. It's like he'll like start out the comic as uh, as Clark Kent and he like goes to work and he flirts with Lois and then like something happens and then he's like Superman for like the rest of the thing. And then it's about like how the villain fights him because I guess, I mean, that's a big part about him is he is a super powerful alien. Yeah. Um, and like you said, a God trying to be human. Um, yeah. Um, I also really liked just looking at my background and seeing the Hulk stuff that they made a comment at one point of um, show, making sure that like the side that you see as a monster. So like um, Banner seeing the Hulk as a monster, but then realizing that the monster can also be the hero. And like they showed it with a clip of Hulk um, saving the little kid from like the alien ship. And I was like, that is honestly, like, really good, especially for, I mean, mental health wasn't talked about it at all in the, um, or, like, it wasn't specifically said, like, some stuff was implied. Um, but, like, saying that the side that you hate can be used for good for people who, like, have anxiety or depression and stuff, like, about themselves and are like, I hate this about myself, it's like, but you can use that to help others. And I think that was like, they might not have realized that they were talking about that or saying that at the time, but you know, things that we know now and then looking back, it's like, holy crap, like this is really good. I, I remember that quote and I specifically paused the documentary to take a breath because like the way it was said there, like made me tear up mm -hmm. where it's like um, part of like developing comics is showing that, or specifically for Marvel comics is showing that we all have this monster inside of us, but our, the monster is still redeemable. And I was like, like that was, that was the moment in the documentary. I was like, that's the thing I've been feeling this whole time <laughs> comic books that I wasn't able to figure out. It's like, it's not just like, I, like I idolize these like characters and they have these powers that I want. I want to be able to swing through New York city, like mm -hmm. Spider-Man. I want to be able to hold my arm out and like summon Mjolnir like Thor, but also like we all have this monster inside of us and they're like conquering that and dealing with that and all these issues. And I'm like, that's not something I can do on a daily basis because I have, um, I'm not a superhero, <laughs> but then we all have our own struggles to work through. And like, while it might not be on the scale of being a superhuman, like we all can understand that battle. Mm -hmm. And it, and it really goes to show that just cause you're a superhero, like doesn't mean that you don't have these problems. Like, especially like if you look at Iron Man, like Tony Stark in the comics typically goes through a lot. He's, he's typically performed, I mean, shown as a, as like an alcoholic and like going through so much stuff. Um, and they can put on these costumes that make them feel better, but they're not completely, mm -hmm. they're not trying to, you know, they're not cured. They're not anything. Yeah. And I think like they kind of touched on that later in the documentary when they started talking about when they tried to give the female heroes more powers and everything and like when they tried 
um, transitioning into um, more diverse characters too. Because like I remember at one point, um, there were talk. There was a couple of the female um, creators that were talking about the original Carol Danvers. How she was just, you know, they they tried to give her all these powers and everything, but they didn't make her like the male heroes still. Like, okay, she's powerful like them, but with the male characters, you still gave them issues to deal with. Whereas the original Carol Danvers was like this perfect goddess. And you're like, how Mm -hmm. do I identify with her? And once they realized what that problem was and like, they're like, oh yeah, we need to make her, her more human too. Like that's when it started getting better um for people to be able to identify with carol danvers and um as her as miss marvel and then becoming captain marvel too was <laughs> that part of the documentary too made me think a lot about wandavision um as well because the whole um actually to, real quick they break down parts to kind of like break down mm-hmm. parts of the documentary um, each it's a lot about identity, but also the identity of the creators. So as like social movements throughout the United States, like took place, comics also mirrored that. So it really started out like in the forties with like, uh, Jewish immigrants that were, uh, that's where they focus in the documentary and that moved on to the civil rights movement and, uh, black Americans. And then, um, la- uh, later on, like late sixties, seventies, eighties, it moves on to, uh, the women's lib movement and, um, push for LGBTQ plus rights. So like that's if we were to break it down into like those identities throughout that's it progresses a long time in that way. So later in the documentary when they're talking about um, you know representing female characters as um, you know they don't have to be masculinely strong to be a strong character you can still give them femininity and still be strong. And it made me think a lot about WandaVision because I heard a comment the other day like this is the first time they've seen the death of a male character used for a female character's like development and growth is WandaVision. Um, Cause like, while Vision isn't like s- still dead in WandaVision, we don't know if Vision's alive or dead, but like Vision died and Wanda's grieving and they're like, this, that's the plot is Wanda growing and becoming stronger and better. It's, it's really confusing at this point, but um, cause we haven't finished the season. I have so many questions, but like, this is about Wanda's character development. Mm-hmm. And um, is, I mean, I'm not an expert on like feminist literature and everything, but I think like Wanda Maximoff is a really like iconic and cool character for like um, specifically like young women to look up to as right now might not be the best time when she's like, you know, kind of distorting reality and warping and like grieving, but like they're not presenting her as like typically masculine and strong. um, And they're, not like forcing her into like a box either. She's just kind of her own character. And obviously there's probably like criticisms on it too. But well, and also I'm like going through the enjoying it. decades too, like showing her as the typical housewife um, with the nod to the Dick Van Dyke show um, of women needing to cook clean, you know, maintain the house uh, and essentially have babies. Um, and then like going through and showing but she's still strong, even with that femininity, feminine side showing through as well. Um, and I think like um, that was a huge part of just personally, you know, being female. Like that was a struggle for me when I was in middle school and everything too, and like growing up. And and I know a lot of women and girls go through this of being 
pushed into the original Carol Danvers of showing off that masculine side and that's what makes you strong um, and like wanting to push away your feminine side to realizing that your feminine side can bring its own type of strength to whatever you're dealing with. And I think that's super important um, just for everyone, not just girls too. Like, I think that's just important for everyone that that softer side of you is also what can make you strong. Yeah. Um, and especially like, like in, I guess, like our, our human history, like constantly, like people are telling boys, like to push that, like ever since you're a young age, it's like, don't be like soft, uh, you yeah, know, be like a man, man up. be a man, blah, blah, blah. Boys don't cry. Uh, um, stuff like that. And I could get really into that, like change the conversation from superheroes to talk, you know, masculine toxic masculinity in the history of that but no it, it and it's super important to like know that you're allowed to be comfortable with every part of yourself and that it, it is what makes you you um but uh talking about the girls superheroes i did thought, think it was pretty interesting because i had never really realized it that yeah before before carol danvers um in the marvel comics at least specifically uh girls when they got powers they were typically like stand in one spot and like do something with your mind do something like with your hands or turn invisible like they weren't go around and punch things they weren't being the thick of the battle it, and i thought that was pretty interesting especially since like nowadays the invisible woman from the fantastic four is a very powerful character yeah. uh literally in in the comic uh deadpool kills the marvel universe she like creates a force field inside of his brain and explodes it and it's like that's awesome but like back then it was literally like oh she would just turn invisible and like hide from the enemies mm -hmm. because she wasn't the confrontational type that was left to the thing or the human torch yeah which is also two different human torches which i found oh. interesting because they had you know in the beginning when they were talking about jews assimilating in america um especially as world war ii started in the end of depression era and everything um that they had the original human torch was a robot. So basically kind of like vision um, now, but he he looked normal, unlike vision where vision's normal look is the red face and the metallic parts. Um, the original human torch looked human and tried to assimilate into, um, you know, social life of humans. And that, and like to know that, um, Stan Lee and like Jack Kirby and um, the other original uh, Steve Ditko, you know, they were going through this or they were watching that happen um, to people, you know, especially at that time they talked about specifically for Jews, like that, that was huge to make that little remark about that. Even if people didn't realize that that's the remark that they were making at that time. Yeah. And um, I thought it was, I like, I thought it was so interesting that how much Jewish uh, people's struggles and anti-Semitism, like pretty much led to Marvel comics. Like yeah. the fact that, yeah, Stan Lee's real name, well, like full name is Stan Lee uh, Lieber and uh, Jack Kirby is Jacob Kurtzberg. Like, and like they mentioned, like behind the mask, like they were even behind the mask when they're at work. 
going by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Like they got rid of that identity and they were behind this other identity. Um, but talking about the original human torch, you mentioned vision, yeah. which um, as I pull up my Marvel encyclopedia vision actually isn't is it verbatim. It says he's an Android created by Ultron from the remains of the original human torch Android oh. and programmed with wonder man's brain patterns, which is pretty interesting. And this book doesn't even have a human torch page for the fantastic four. It only has it for <laughs> the Android. And then yeah. it, it's, it's like, also there's a, there's one of the fantastic four. Um, but no, I, I thought it was so interesting. Like even the comparison to uh, the, the Jewish, the, the myth uh, the, of the golem. Yeah. And how like the original Hulk was almost like, could be seen as like the, this golem like figure, which is almost mm-hmm. like Frankenstein. And it kind of all ties together. You can kind of see the, the focal point of this yes. character. Mm-hmm. That, that discussion too. Uh, um, there was a really poignant quote that I remember from the documentary when they were talking about, you know, they're transitioning from talking about Jewish immigrants into the civil rights era. Um, characters like the thing and the Hulk, like for people of color, they're like, Hey, like, that's how I'm treated. They're judged by the way they look, not by who they are. And like the characters before they were like, there was like a prominent presence of people of color in comics. Like you, you still had, it wasn't, true representation as we would understand it now but there were people could like relate to that story like being ben Grimm, the thing you're like people are never gonna want to get to know me because of the way i look people are never going to want to um people are never going to judge me because of who i am before they see me um and that was that was a really interesting and poignant point and i think like even carrying into like throughout the documentary and talking about different identities specifically talking you know carol danvers you know she was like um an attractive blonde woman um, as well. So people are like, oh, you know, she's like dainty and feminine and all this stuff. And then you give her the backstory of like, no, like, well, like, yes, she's feminine, but also like she's in the Air Force because like her father wouldn't pay for college. She's trying to show her family that she's just as good as the boys. And that's like, um, that's how they made her like that, the, the, the trope of Marvel is making yeah. them relatable and understandable. And like, that's, the angle they used for Carol, like those are, those are um, her trials and tribulations that she has to go through. And that's, and it's something that, you know, the average person can also understand. Which like for me, as soon as I heard that I, I got mad at the movie Captain Marvel. Cause I was like, I really wanted to know why she was in the air force and like why she got into that point. So I'm really hoping that they bring that back in. Um, but something I was interested, I found interesting that they didn't bring in, um, which kind of sort of like talks about, you know, being behind the mask and identity and everything. Um, But the comic book ban that happened. Um, So the original Captain America comics were made during World War II because you can see on the first um, comic of Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers punching out Adolf Hitler and that was a big part of like raising the money for to send the troops overseas and everything um, but then after that there was a period um, where there was a comic book ban and actually that's when um, Stanley and Jack Kirby came out with um, 
the Fantastic Four because they wanted to show that more human side. Um, it was a family comic, not just an action yeah. comic. And I found that kind of interesting that they didn't talk about that because then they could have brought in family identity with that. Um, but they kind of talked about that a little bit more when they had the um, X-Men. Um, the Uncanny X-Men? Yeah, the Uncanny X-Men. Um, when they brought it back and said, yeah, okay, the original X-Men, yeah, they were mutants, but they were all white and privileged, whereas, you know, the Uncanny X-Men are mixed races, um, you know, from different backgrounds. You have uh, Nightcrawler, who looks different. You've got... Um, Oh, I can think of Storm. Mis mis yes. uh, Mystique. Storm. Yeah. Oh, Mystique, yeah. Mystique of um, coming through and, you know, going from female to male, you know, and showing that. And I think showing that the family aspect of comics would have been really interesting for them to talk about. Um, just because, like, even with Peter Parker, you know, he still lives with Aunt May. Um, and yeah and other mm -hmm. families within the and showing just more the human side of how does superhero affect family life and mm -hmm. um which also bringing up that that x-men the that second the second team um whereas i think everyone in the first team is american mm -hmm. i think the sec because the second team was was it included uh, Cyclops, who is from America, but uh, Wolverine's from Canada. Nightcrawler's German. Uh, Storm is from a, a country, um, I think in Africa. I don't want to be wrong. Um, let me double check. I'm pretty sure Storm's country actually might, or at least has origins like in like Mar a Marvel comic original property. Um. Cause yeah, cause she's a, I think, yeah, she's a Aurora. She's a, a, a queen, a noble. She's a tribal mm -hmm. princess of Kenya. Kenya. Um, okay. So never mind. a real country. What am I then, thinking of? Who am I thinking of? Then? Wakanda? Black no, Panther? it's not Wakanda. There's a, um, it's Dr. Doom's country. And, the, oh, but it's Liberia. in Europe. So I'm, Liberia. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. My bad. Um, and then, uh, it showed Colossus and he's, uh, he's from Russia. And I just think it's pretty interesting that this like second team like is more diverse, not only like ethnicity wise and like how they look, but also just where they're from. They got people from all over the world. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of cool. And then relating that back to the comic book band, I remember like studying that I took, uh, if you're a Central Michigan University student, I'm going to plug uh, English 141. Um, it's literally a class all about the history um, and like different areas of comics. But when we were studying that, like a whole, the whole like transition of the, the comics code authority trying to, you know, solidify and like narrow down or take away like violence and gore and um, sexual um, innuendos and stuff in comics. Uh, that's when like Marvel started to thrive because it was able to create these new characters that like still had a lot of the, the full, um, you know, character they were fleshed out like as characters but they didn't like they were still like different and relatable and understandable but um that the thing about comics is throughout history there they it's one of the first mediums to push boundaries in the 20th century and 21st century like 
as you know social norms start to like change and um, collapse and evolve comics are usually right there along with them and TV and even, I mean, back then radio and movies take a little bit longer because they have a longer process. It's, there's um, more um, direct coverage on it. You can get more uh, publicity, which is both positive and negative. But with comics, it's like, I'm going to publish what I want to publish. And if I get backlash, I get backlash. Um, and I think that's what a lot of the creators in the, com- like in the documentary talked about too. It's like, I don't really care, you know, what, you know, society was thinking like, I wanted to write about what I wanted to write about. I wanted to fill a niche that wasn't filled. Um, And I think there's a lot more freedom specifically in comic books because of the culture associated with them. You know, a comic is for everyone um, that allows for that diversification, representation and inclusion that is talked about a lot in the documentary. And you go for it, Isaac. I was just going to be like, and I think it's true that like Stan Lee was a huge part of that. Like, and there were videos that they were in the documentary that I hadn't seen before of Stanley. And just like hearing him talk, like how someone like asked him about diversity and he's like, we got diverse characters. He's like, there's blah, 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 blah. But then he goes, and they're not there. Cause it's not a token thing. He's mm-hmm. like, they're there because I looked at groups of people in real life and they're diverse. And so I made a group that is based on real life. And it's just so cool that like, like, I don't know, like, Yes, they, they tackled things uh, at the same time, like real life did it, but they almost like, they didn't do it for the sake of, we want to be the first to do this. Mm-hmm. They did it for the sake of, we're literally just watching the world and I want to be able to like include the world in my, in Marvel. And which is, I also, which is kind of cool that how they talked about how oh, Marvel takes place like on earth, like in real cities. Yeah it can add to that whereas dc had a lot of fake utopia cities but yeah and then the thing about that though is they change it and evolve it with the inclusion of black lightning and freeland which is like the area of metropolis that superman ignores like they, yeah. dc evolves that as well which but like y'all um daredevil is marvel right before i yeah hell's yeah. kitchen hell's yeah. kitchen yeah and so like in talking with that and I have a couple other points that you guys made me think of um, that I'll come back to. But, you know, in, in t- thinking of that, you know, oh, hey, you've got Iron Man, you know, the Avengers Tower is in New York and Spider-Man says, hey, I want to be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. But then you ignore Hell's Kitchen. And so, you know, you get the uh, emergence of uh, like Luke Cage mm-hmm. and um, Daredevil um, to take care of that little block um of new york um but something else i wanted to say um so with what isaac was saying about um when uh stanley was being interviewed by um the tv person or whatever okay first off i sat there and went that is not stanley i know it is it's his voice without (laughs) oh my gosh like the dark hair like this i was like that's not him (laughs) I was like, it's his voice, but that's not him. Um, but uh, his to like say specifically, like, you know, the interviewer was like, oh, did you feel pressured to include black characters in your comics? And he was like, dude, look around. Like there are black people, you know, right next door or, you know, in our society. And what we're doing is reflecting our society. Um, 
And I like that was super interesting to me. Plus the fact that like, um, you know, they told him, well, Black Panther should have the Avengers come because he needs help. And he was like, ha, no. Oh, and there's a resurgence <laughs> of the KKK. Hey, you know what? Black Panther's going to go fight them. Um, like, that was just like a huge, like, screw you to um, anyone who tried forcing them to do something that they didn't want to do or, you know, that they were like, no, that's not how this works, you know? That comic they mentioned with Black Panther, I, I actually didn't know about that issue and I want to go read that now um, with, the, with the parallels of like how history actually happened versus like how history would have happened in, a, in the comic book world where, you know, in an idealized world where we have a hero like the Black Panther, um, you know, the, the KKK wouldn't have gotten away with like murdering so many innocent people. Um, and like I had heard about the comic where Black Panther fights the KKK, but I thought it was like modern so to hear that it was like parallels of, you know, his girlfriend's mother is telling about what happened to her father, um, you know, after the um, Civil War era and with the original KKK and, and then being like, oh, yeah, if you were there, though, this is how it would have happened, you know, and having his girlfriend imagine that. I was like, that's super smart, though, because that is how that's people cool viewed the comics, too is you know them going oh i wish i had the superhero here right now to help get me out of this situation like that was mm-hmm. yeah and it, it it's like the gritty realism that it showed at the end where it was like mm-hmm. but he did in fact they did like hang him from a tree and it's just like and it kind of takes you to like real life and you're like yeah there's oh. not always a superhero to do that yeah we need we need um we need heroes in real life mm-hmm. but um, which brings me to hope at the beginning, you mentioned that the one quote that you didn't like, um, and I, I, I really liked the quote. Um, <laughs> what, what, what was said was if you're not a lonely kid, you have no reason reading, com- like there's no reason for you to read comics. Um, and I get how that can be interpreted as like gatekeeping comics. Like, Oh, if you aren't like bullied, if you aren't the underdog and I'm like, but isn't that like a relatively universal experience of like feeling like, you know, people don't understand who you are. You feel isolated. You feel alone. And that's what comics are there for. Like you might not feel that all the time. You might put up a front, but I feel like that's a, that's a universal feeling of, I don't, I don't know where I fit in. And I, you know, I feel alone right now. You could have as many people physically around you or telling you they'll support you, but you don't always feel like that. So even even the bullies can read comics and go like, maybe, you know, I feel alone. Even, even the privileged can read comics and understand that feeling of being alone, even if it isn't um, necessarily representing like their area of life or their stage in life. But like that hit me and I was like, Oh no, like I can get that. Everyone can feel alone. And like, like I said, I do understand where that quote's coming from. I think it came off to me too, was that, there are some people who never feel alone or like that they can't show a side of them. Um, Because I think, you know, besides what they said about the thing and Hulk um, being judged for what they looked like, you know, just on the outside and seeing the monster and not accepting the hero um, and people being scared of them, um, especially with black men, that was a big thing in the uh, documentary. Um, But, you know, you do have, the bullies or the kids that are confident and have a lot of people 
but they still might have a side of them that they feel like they can't show. And to me, that quote just like came off as that there are people who don't feel that way. And so it was kind of the gatekeeping. I think it, like if she had said it differently, it would have been better for me. I appreciated the sass that came with it. I was like, no, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. And, but also like, if you have no insecurities and you've never felt alone and you feel so comfortable, I don't see how you'd find a comic book appealing as well. Like if, if you've never experienced those issues and you feel totally like if you're happy, go lucky and everything works out and everything's totally fine all the time for you. First of all, please teach me how you do that. Cause that's insanely impressive, but like teach me your ways, please. Like that's insane. If that's you, but also like then that's, then a comic book wouldn't be relatable because it's written from the perspective of like, I have problems and I want to work through them and I need a hero. And if, if you are your own hero already and don't need another one, then maybe comics, maybe comics aren't for you. I don't know. Like that might be like pushing it, but like if you're perfect, you don't need a superhero. Uh, that's fair. Well, you got, uh, but nobody's perfect, right? Um, Poverty's perfect. <laughs> and it, it kind of just goes to show how, how good though Marvel is, especially based on this documentary, like how good they are at, creating situations that you can relate to something even if the character is nothing like you which it's kind of like yeah like we mentioned earlier uh there was uh uh a man in the documentary where they asked who was he was like who's my favorite black superhero it's ben Grimm, the thing Mm -hmm. which um and he's like i know you know like and it even showed like a clip of ben Grimm, like as a caucasian man turning into this orange monster and he's like He's like, I know that he's not black in appearance, but he's black the way he's treated. It's the same way I look at that and I'm like, that man is treated the same way I am. And it kind of also goes to show, like when they mentioned the, the X-Men and how the X-Men are, were somewhat inspired by the whole AIDS crisis and, and being, being different and you can't help it. And it's people coming together and working together. And then also that guy brings up like, yeah, it kind of goes to show that, you know, they're like, these superheroes are just like, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like, like they're just they're going through the same struggles as gay people and black people. But then he was also like, but at the same time, they're not black or gay. Mm-hmm. And that's true too, where it's like, sometimes even though you're going through a similar struggle, it's also nice to get some representation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I that, yeah, that was a really good point. And they talked about that too, when they brought up um, the LGBTQ plus movement, the freedom movement for them to be able to express themselves freely. Um, there was one person that I will admit threw me off because I just wasn't expecting his voice to come out of his I know, mouth. I know like, who you're talking about. I was like, I appreciate you oh, and yeah. I understand everything you're saying, but like I wasn't looking when he started talking and so my brain was like, oh, it's going to be female. Nope. Um, like I said, but it's totally okay. Also, like his enthusiasm was yes. like infectious as well and I was like, I also noticed him like, like I was like pitch difference, but I'm like, yeah. okay, no, I, I, I want to hear more. Please continue yeah. talking. But uh, he made a comment that, you know, at some point, we stop appreciating the metaphor of, oh, well, they represent this or, you know, that we want you to show us, you know, what's going on. And 
they talked about one of the heroes that they created. Um, North Star. Yeah. Um, was gay and eventually contracted AIDS. Um, and then Marvel retconned it. Yeah. And I, I find part of that interesting because, like, on one side, um, I understand, like, their, how scared they were to go on with it, especially during that time. Um, during the movement and everything and people being so scared about AIDS and HIV and everything. Um, but another part, I almost wonder, so like, I understand his frustration with how they just like stopped saying it and just changed the narrative. Um, but then I almost wonder if they didn't change it too, because they felt they didn't know enough about the disease to feel confident to portray it. Um, because we really haven't learned that much about AIDS and HIV until recent years, um, especially like how exactly it's contracted and that it's no, just because you touch someone, you know, who has the disease doesn't mean you're going to get it, you know, it's, um, and so I think, I wonder if part, like, I just question if part of it was because they didn't feel comfortable enough to continue telling it and they didn't want to tell it the wrong way. Because I feel like that was a big thing with Marvel, um, was making sure that everything was represented correctly is not quite the right word, but, you know, enough, mm -hmm. well enough that they didn't do a shit job. Yeah. And then they, they admitted, too, that they're like, we messed up sometimes. Mm -hmm. Was making North Star uh, biologically half fairy appropriate? looking back no and they're like but we you know and they they rec they recognize when they did something wrong in the past too and that, that was the last point i wanted to make from the documentary is like the way we've been talking about it too it seems like you know they put comics on this pedestal of like rep like golden pedestal of like being the best representative inclusive and diverse like diverse environment but in the documentary they also mentioned that like yeah we use we used stereotypes that was kind of the backbone of this. Like that's like stereotypes were there for a reason. It was easy for people to understand. Um, and like they have the example of Luke Cage, like the way he talks, he used slang that, you know, white people like <laughs> consider slang, but black people are like, I have no idea what he's saying. Yeah. Um, but then being able to acknowledge that and move on from that and reappropriate it to like keep that as part of a character's identity, but then not use it as a derogatory stereotype is another advantage of comic books is they can kind of not take it back, but they can evolve with it and recognize their mistakes. Yeah. Which, which is kind of cool. Like when they talked about uh, Wakanda for the first time, mm -hmm. they were like, you know, it's in Africa, it's dark, it's dangerous. And they're like trope, trope, trope. And then they're like, also it's like the most technological advanced city in the world. And they're like, suddenly you're not following tropes anymore. Yeah. And you're carving your own path. Yeah. And I also liked, um, like in the last like five minutes when they were like, as we look back upon this, we look at our different characters and go, oh, well, that character could have been represented this way because like we didn't come out and specify anything um, like with mm -hmm. Peter Parker. Oh, lives with his aunt, grows up in New York. Um, you know, why can't he be black? And thus Miles Morales was born and we get his spider man and um, and they're like, you know, we, we make mistakes, but also here's how we're going to fix it or, you know, show that we have grown as a company and as creators. 
as a society and um, here's how we're going to make it better. And I think that was the biggest part of the whole, um, not just identity, but, you know, the fact that they were growing and showing how to be better and like what they could do to be better. Um, Cause even with the uncanny X-Men, you know, they were like, okay, we realized we were trying to do mutants, but you know, still show the sameness and didn't represent. So we're going to represent now and show uniqueness and individuality. And um, yeah, those. Mm-hmm. And that that's actually something that like I've thought of like, with modern movie casting where they're like, Oh, the comic book character is white. So the actor has to be white. And I feel like, you know, sometimes that's true. Like I would find it hard to believe if uh, Bruce Wayne was anything other than a white man, specifically in the U S just because like that kind of wealth that like that just, it's very uncommon for, you know, generational wealth is mostly a, you know, a a white family thing here in the Mm -hmm. United States, which is unfortunate, but it is, it is, you know a truth however like there's also like characters like superman there is no reason superman has to be white he's an alien <laughs> yeah like no reason at all at all um and people were like um w- when there was talks about henry cavill being recast after justice league they were like cast michael b jordan and people were like no he can't be superman i'm like actually i think he'd be a great superman <laughs> but um, um that actually somewhat is mentioned uh just the fact that i mean not mentioned but in the injustice comics that follow the video game injustice uh green lantern uh, green lantern um oh gosh martian manhunter uh what a guy he's fighting uh one woman and he's like of course you're on the side of the alien that looks like you and it's like why does superman look american yep Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, we can go into the origins of that, but that's also something in comics. As, as we try to like create like more diverse, more inclusive, and more represent representational characters, you can look at it like, is this part of their background that we've always taken like taken for granted necessary? Like, mm-hmm. do they have to be this way, or is that just how they've been? So, alrighty, I think that kind of like concludes our conversation about behind the mask. Yeah. So, if you haven't uh, if you haven't seen it or haven't even heard of it, um, highly recommend the uh the documentary it's on disney plus uh it's only it's only about an hour so you can just pop it on it's not it's not like a a day-long commitment or anything but um has a lot of great messages um and has a lot it's very informative about like the history of marvel comics so and then i just i just want to finish with um i still want to be a superhero so bad like watching the documentary i'm like oh there's so many more reasons to want superpowers (laughs) So um, now we're going to finish off, like always, with our media recommendations of the week. So, um, Hope or Isaac, do either of you want to start? I can start. I can start. All right. Um, my recommendation is it's uh, while we're talking about comics, I might as well recommend um, uh, 2015's Secret Wars comic. Um, there's a lot going on. Not going to lie, because it's literally about... Uh, the ending of multiple different worlds in the comics, like different canons, and uh, basically bringing them all together into one giant pizza uh, and then cooking that pizza. And then what remains is going to be the continuation of the mainstream Marvel comic universe. Um, And I recommend this mostly because uh, Miles Morales was made in the ultimate uh, Spider-Man universe, the ultimate 
universe. And um, he was just such a hit that they're like, how can we get him over to Earth 616? And like, this is one of the ways they did it is like, they brought him over. But basically, it's a comic series about um, Dr. Doom getting godlike power in order to save the world from all these basically parallel universes smashing into each other. And so he tries to save as much as he can, but Dr. Doom is not the kind of guy you would want to have godlike power. And so then it's also about a small contingent of superheroes that have to go and uh, basically fix everything. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's uh, There were going to be, I think, eight issues, but halfway through it switched to nine. And my friend and I bought the issues when they came out monthly. And it's like one out of eight, two out of eight, three out of eight, four out of eight, five out of nine. And you're like, what? <laughs> okay. Um, so I really quick wanted to make one final comment um, about what you guys were saying about, uh, or about what we were saying about making the characters like, you know, black play portrayed by a black actor. Um, that was a big thing when, uh, when Nick Fury was cast for Avengers because in the comics Sergeant Fury was white a lot of people got mad but they were like um no it's you know modern day we can have him be black it's perfectly fine Samuel Jackson also it's Samuel Jackson like Samuel Jackson like come on why wouldn't you want to have him as uh Fury um but so my recommendation my first one is not actually media related as much as just like if y'all are craving Girl Scout cookies and you don't know who to buy from, um, I recommend looking up Troop 6000. So six and three zeros followed after. Uh, they are a troop in New York City that is comprised of girls who live in the New York City shelter system. Um, and they do this so um, you can go online if you search it up and you can find um, it's on the Girl Scout website too of how to buy cookies from them. It is a four box minimum if you want it shipped to you, um, which means it's about $20 because the boxes of cookies have gone up again in price. And so it's $5. There are like two that are $6, um, but majority of them the are $5. Um, is and it the tag if it's the Samoas, I'm going to be sad because those are, I mean, I'll still pay $6 for them, I think, but those are my favorites. No, it was the, oh, my computer's going to be slow. I think it was like like the gluten-free ones. Um, okay, so more processing specialty. Yeah, it. like more of the specialty cookies. Um, but it, so basically, you know, the... Girl Scout cookies are fundraising opportunity. They don't get all $5. No Girl Scout troop does because some of it has to go to making the cookies and boxes and everything. Um, but the idea is for Troop 6000 that they raise this money so that the girls can still experience things like going on camping trips or going out and being able to do different things. Um so it's really important, if, especially if you want Girl Scout cookies and you don't have anyone, um, you can buy a four box minimum to ship to you, or you can donate boxes to the New York City food banks or just donate money directly to the Troop 6000. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend that if I had money to do it, I'd be buying four boxes of Thin Mints because that's my favorite. Um but my media recommendation is WandaVision. 
oh my gosh, everyone needs to watch WandaVision. I'm sorry, but like, it's so good and it's so frustrating. And the episodes are only about like 20 minutes long and then you get 10 minutes of credits. So, yep. (laughs) So it's like super quick and we're on episode six and I am frustrated that it takes a week for each episode to come out. Um, I know every, every Friday morning, <clears throat> every Friday morning, I wake up with like the episode two theme song in my head and I go dance downstairs and like, because <laughs> it's, I'm like, that's the best part of my week. Like, that and that's just been this year because there was Mandalorian Fridays and then Christmas. And then I was sad for three weeks and then WandaVision Fridays. And, and then we get a week off and then it's Falcon of the Winter Soldier Fridays <laughs> and then Black Widow comes out and then it's Loki. And then like, <laughs> Marvel's back. This is our year. Um, but yeah. Also, wasn't the WandaVision, wasn't that the Bewitched episode? Where they played it, it was two or three. Yeah, but yeah. So I couldn't. If you like the old TV shows, like Dick Van Dyke, Bewitched, um, the Brady Bunch. I think the Brady Bunch was Malcolm three. in the Middle. Yeah, I was Malcolm in the Middle. This yeah. last episode. that was this week. Um, but yeah, you should definitely. Full House. Yeah, definitely go check it out. Um, I think they were talking that this week it could possibly be Modern Family? Question mark. I don't know if like I don't know if it's this week or if that's week eight. It depends because yeah. there's three episodes left, and I'm like, they're getting real close to modern TV already. Yep, it's it's bound to happen. We we've seen it in the the trailers that it's going to be Modern Family esque. And I feel like that episode's just going to be like Wanda talking to herself the whole time, just like at the camera, <laughs> and it's going to be so fun. Um, all right, so my media recommendations for this week um, on Hulu. If you have Hulu, um, Dragon Ball Super, like the English dub, is on there. So if you're a Dragon Ball fan and never ended up watching Super because it took a little while to get out here in the U.S., um, it's on there, and I highly recommend it. Um, it is a little repetitive, but it's like if you watch Dragon Ball simply because the plot is super intriguing, then I feel like you might be missing the point. I feel like most of it's just like screaming and cool fights. Um, and that is, there's a lot of that in super. Um, also, <clears throat> um, I highly recommend the square Enix Marvel's Avengers game. The game got a lot of crap when it came out. Um, and like, I feel like it's kind of, kind of a dead game at this point, but, um, it was really like fun to do. It had a really good, uh, story for Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. So if you want to, uh, if you're not a comic book reader, but you still want to get, um, a little like background info on her before the show comes out later this year, um, I would highly recommend playing that game. So, um, that is all we have. I'm still waiting for Amulet to come out because he's from Dearborn. And so... I'm waiting for them to do Amulet and film in Dearborn. Fine. Um, well, that it, now that is all we have for you today. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Raving Geeks. Uh, make sure you leave a comment wherever you're listening from. Um, we'd love to hear from you all, uh, whether it's about what we talked about today, what you want us to talk about in the future, or just like any fun comments in general, feel free to send us, send it um, our way, either wherever you watch the podcasts or on our social media on uh, Facebook or Twitter at Raving Geeks or our new TikTok account, which will be being uh, more active soon. Also at Raving Geeks on TikTok. So as always, I have been Brendan Valentine along with Hope Goodearl, Isaac Hunter. 
And as always, stay geeky and have a great weekie, everyone. See you next time.